going to focus our attention today on the Old Testament book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Daniel, the most hated, the most attacked book of the Bible by skeptics, by atheists, by doubters. By far, this is the most hated book in the Bible, especially by smart people who don't really care for what Daniel's all about. Why? Because much of the book of, of Daniel is predictive in nature. Uh, much of the book of Daniel is prophetic. In other words, it's foretelling what's going to happen in the future before it actually happens. And if that really is true, if it really was written 500 years before Jesus was born, the skeptics, the doubters, the atheists, they've got no explanation for that. So you can understand why. Very predictive, very specific. And we're going to look at one of those specific prophecies. Uh, and if it's true, they, they know they're in trouble because they can't explain how that actually happened. Now, there are 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. The first six chapters are powerful events in the life of Daniel and his friends. Uh, one key one, obviously, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Uh, we just want you to know, Nebi, we realize that you want us to bow down. We're not going to bow down. Our God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't choose to save us from the fire, we just want you to know we're still not going to bow down. We're not going to bow down as though you are our God because you're not. And obviously the Lord works miraculously. And Jesus shows up in the fire with them. Uh, the other big event that I know you remember, probably as a child, Daniel and the lion's den. We're going to look at that in a little bit uh, uh, in the second half of today's sermon. The second six chapters of Daniel is often called the book of Revelation in the Old Testament. So the, the second six chapters are prophetic. It's visions, it's dreams, it's things to come. It's wild, and it's a lot like the book of Revelation, only in the old section of the Bible. Today I'm going to do something that my preaching prof said you're not supposed to do. So I apologize in advance, but we're going to try to cover two sermons in one. So it's kind of, you're going to get double your, your money's worth today. Look at it that way. So I'm going to try to give you a half plate on the predictive side, and then we'll conclude with the other half of your plate. I'm going to fill it up with some uh, pretty interesting things we learn from what happened with Daniel in this very interesting uh, event in Daniel chapter 6. W would you turn with me to Daniel chapter 9? Daniel chapter 9, Sir Isaac Newton, heard of that guy before? Uh, probably greatest English mathematician, uh, laid the ground for modern calculus, optics, gravity, one of the greatest scientists the world's ever known, Sir Isaac Newton, that guy. He said of Daniel 9's prophecy, here's what Sir Isaac Newton said, we can stake the truth of Christianity on this prophecy alone. Because five centuries before Jesus was born, Daniel 9 pinpoints his arrival on earth. That, that's how much uh, Sir Isaac Newton thought of this prophecy 
in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel is an old man here. He's uh, been in captivity 67, 68 years, somewhere in there. He realizes the Lord has told Israel, you're on a 70-year plan. You're on the 70-year plan, and now it comes to Daniel's mind, this is year 67 or 68, so he's excited now. He realizes, Lord, it's coming pretty soon where you're going to give the order that we can go back and start rebuilding Jerusalem. So in response to this fervent prayer of a faithful servant named Daniel, uh, the Lord Almighty in heaven dispatches an angel. Any, any names of angels you know of well? Anybody? There's kind of two that we know well. Gabriel and Michael. Yeah, well, he dispatches Gabriel, and he says, I want you to go explain the future of my chosen people to my man, Daniel. And that's what we're going to read together right now. So if you're able, would you stand? Daniel chapter 9, we're going to start down in verse 20, and we'll read down through verse 27. This is one amazing prophecy. Ready? Here we go. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift light about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you begin to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Let's pray. Lord, that's uh, pretty detailed and pretty complex. So I just acknowledge, Lord, we're going to need your help. Lord, I believe that what you uh, so lovingly gave to Daniel through Gabriel was marvelous news for Daniel. 
And Lord, I believe it's marvelous news for us too. So would you first of all help us to understand what this would have meant to Daniel and the exiles living in Babylon? And Lord, we need you to help us go a step further. Would you show us what it means to us today in your church in northern Michigan? Because, Lord, that was a long time ago, and we live far away from ancient Babylon. So we need your help. Give us wisdom and understanding and guidance. May the very same spirit that inspired Daniel to write these words down, might that same spirit empower these goofy lips. And, Lord, would you please bring insight to our ears and our minds and our hearts. All the church family at Walloon Lake said with one strong voice. You can be seated. Verse 23, last part. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. In other words, Daniel, sit up, pay attention, take notes. This is important. By the way, you have a section for notes, and I guess I would say the same thing to you, church at Walloon. Sit up, pay attention, take notes. You're here anyway. You might as well remember what you're learning. Listen close. This is really important stuff. It really is. Here we go. Verse 24. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to atone the most holy place. Best translation is seven, 77. Uh, there's a different word for weeks. It's very close, but the best translation is sevens. So it's 70 sets of sevens. In other words, it's 490 of something. Tracking with me? 490 of something. Of what? Slide back to Daniel 9 in verse 2 if you have your Bible. Uh, Daniel is asking how long, and he's talking about years. How long in years is it going to be? How long is Israel going to be in exile? He says, 70 years is what I recall. So in context, understand, Daniel 9 He's asking how many years till the people in exile are restored and back in Jerusalem. That's the context of his prayer here. Verse 24, slide back down, Gabriel says, it's going to be 70 sets of years. It's going to be 70 sets of seven years. Uh, 70 times 7, math majors, is how much? 490, 490, 490 years cut out of history for Jehovah to do his work with his chosen people. And what specifically is it, Lord, that you want to do for Israel and for Jerusalem? What is it that you're wanting to accomplish? Look at verse 24. He lists six very specific things that he wants to accomplish for the Jews and for Jerusalem. Looking at verse 24, I want you to see where it comes from. He says, it's going to be 490 years to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness. Pause. 
All three of those were accomplished by Jesus on the cross at Calvary. Tracking with me? So all of those first three, we're all looking forward to Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Go back to verse 24. The, the second three, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most highly. Are you ready? These three are yet to be completed. These three are yet to happen. But I'll show you in a bit, all three of these will be accomplished in the book of Revelation. Make sense? So, first three, it's all about the cross. It's all about Jesus taking our place. The second three will be fulfilled in the future book of Revelation. So now, go back to verse 24. We got 490 years the Lord's going to accomplish some powerful things for his chosen people. Verse 25 gives us detailed information. So I got you a little slide. If you're really into this, see me, see Rachel, but don't just see us and tell us. Write it down. If you're really into this, give us your email and we'll send you a couple slides if you want to look at them uh, more closely, okay? Or if you're really a good artist, Go crazy and write it down yourself right now, okay? Uh, so anyway, here we go. Verse 25. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Huh? <laughs> okay, you got, you got to think that one through a little bit. From the issuing of the decree... To rebuild Jerusalem, he's talking to Dan. It's going to be happening pretty soon. But as soon as that decree goes out, okay, exiles, you can go back and rebuild and restore Jerusalem until the anointed one, the Messiah, comes. There's going to be a certain amount of time. Again, look at verse 25. It'll be seven sevens. Seven times seven is what? Forty-nine. And there's going to be sixty-two sevens. That's how much? 434 years. So if you add 434 and 49, what do you got? 483. So 483 years, something really exciting and powerful is coming, nation of Israel. I want you to know, be on the lookout. You can be looking because I'm telling you exactly when it's going to happen. Now, the decree, when it's issued that the exiles can go back and start rebuilding Jerusalem. There were three kings that issued decrees. Cyrus, Artaxerxes, and Darius. Ezra 1, 1 to 4. Ezra 6, 1 to 12. Ezra 7, 12 to 16. Nehemiah 2, 1 to 8. Most commentators, most smart guys, think the Nehemiah one is the one that fits. Why? Because Ezra's talking about rebuilding the temple specifically. Nehemiah 2 is the decree you can go back and rebuild Jerusalem. So Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1, write that down, you can look it up later, gives a specific date. It says, Nehemiah 2.1 was issued by Artaxerxes in the month of Nisan, 20th day of Artaxerxes' reign, which would be March, April, 445 B.C. Okay, we got that up here. You can see that. Several scholars get more specific. Um, 
I, they're probably right at or near at March 14, 445 B.C. In other words, Daniel's going to be real specific. This decree is going to be issued, and then you'll know very clearly uh, when the anointed one, the Messiah, the promised one is going to come. Okay, one more key you need to know. Ready? Give me your eyes. Jewish calendar was 360 days. The Jews in the Old Testament followed a different calendar than our Gregorian calendar. And their calendar was 360 days, not 365. Okay? So this is where things start getting really wild. Uh, Ray, you can go to the next slide. And okay, those of you who are artists, have at it or give us your email and we'll send it to you. This, this is the uh, wonderful. Uh, start with March 14th, 445 B.C., Okay? And then you add 483 years, remember that's the 69 sevens, uh, times 360 days, that equals 173,880 days. Okay, tracking? Sir Isaac Newton, Sir Robert Anderson, several other smart guys tell us that takes us to April 32 AD. April 32 AD. Some of them give you a specific day, I'm not sure it was meant to say, you know, but it's right this, this one time. Well, what happened on April, in April 32 A.D.? It, it seems very clearly this was the time where Jesus entered into Jerusalem and everybody was shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What do we call that? What, what Sunday is that? They had uh, palms, didn't they? Yeah, we call that... Palm Sunday. So what Gabriel is telling Daniel, who's telling us, is you can look very clearly, and that's the Luke 19 stuff, and, and that's when the Messiah is going to come on scene, and everybody's going to acknowledge him as king. Verse 26. Uh, that's pretty good. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. We know that... Uh, Five days later, that's exactly what happened. We'll have nothing. Jesus will die a criminal's death. Cut off is literally the Old Testament word for capital punishment. And then it says, and then the rulers, the ones who are over, ruling over, then they're just going to wipe out the city. And we know that's exactly what happened with the Roman general Titus. Uh, Daniel 9.27, look at it. 9.27 speaks of a time in the future... He says, there's 69 sevens, and oh yeah, there's one more seven, and those things have yet to be accomplished. You recall, there was another seven set of sevens. So there's seven more years that are going to come back into God's plan, and I would argue, again, that's going to happen in the book of Revelation. Specifically, it looks like Revelation chapter 12 and chapter 13. So why is that prophecy so important. Think with me. Why is this chapter so hated and despised by skeptics and atheists and people who don't want to believe the Bible? Are you ready? Because Daniel 9 shouts loudly God's word can be trusted. Daniel 9 shouts very clearly, I can believe this book, I can rely upon this book, we know that this is a book 
that I can make the foundation of my life. It can be trusted. If, if this, is, this prophecy is so clear and so accurate, it's no ordinary book. You tracking? This book is alive and it's real. And, and, and when you look at how specific it was, you go, wow. The Bible really is amazing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, and I want you to know, secondly, it makes it obvious if God's word was dead on accurate about the first coming of Jesus, which it was, we can have total confidence that when we read in the book of Revelation about what's coming, it's going to hit the bullseye there, right? It knows what's going to come, and it can be trusted and believed what it records is coming our way. And finally, Jesus Christ is the only candidate that qualifies. He says, I want you to know, Israel, coming a time and pinpoints exactly this specific time, there's going to be a Messiah, and he's going to come on the scene. So the Messiah had to be alive, 32 AD, and he had to be in Jerusalem at that time, and he had to be acknowledged as king by the Jews, and then he had to be rejected, and then he had to be cut off. Can I tell you that Jesus is the only one that qualifies? He's the only one who we can say, yep, he, he matches all the criteria, that's him. And, and he really is who God's word says that he is. Jesus alone fits the evidence. So when you pick up the book and read... And when you think about Jesus and talk about Jesus, give me your eyes, we don't need to apologize for Jesus. We don't need to shrink back and think, oh no, I, I don't know, I don't know. If... No, this is true. This is real. This is alive. And, and prophecies like this should like build our faith muscles like crazy. And we should just know, you know what? This is something I can build my life. Okay, so that's half your plate, okay? So now turn with me to Daniel chapter 6, and we'll uh, hopefully fill up the other half of your plate. This is a very well, probably the most well-known story in all of the book of Daniel, uh, especially if you grew up in church, especially if you had the flannel graph. This was a great flannel graph story. Uh, Daniel's in his 80s here. He's so trusted and valued at this time in Daniel chapter 6 that King Darius, or Darius, your choice, places Daniel over his entire kingdom. I'm going to divide my kingdom up. I'll have 120 rulers or leaders, but Daniel, you're over the 120. And it's pretty obvious the 120 weren't happy because Daniel is straight-laced. Daniel is honest. Daniel can't be bribed. Oh man, this is going to be no fun because that's how leaders back in that day enjoyed their, their positions. They could bribe. They, they could uh, do shortcuts and they could do things to increase their power. And now Daniel's in charge? Really? Really? So verses 6 to 9, chapter 6, they set a trap to destroy Daniel. And here's the trap. We're going to appeal to the vanity of Darius. He, he, likes, he likes it when we talk big about him. So they issue a decree and they say, for the next 30 days, the only one that is worth praying to 
is you, O great king Darius, because you're the best king ever. Matter of fact, we're not even sure you're a king. We think you're a god. And only you should be prayed to for the next 30 days. And Darius says, I think that's a pretty good idea. Uh, We'll sign that right into law. And here's the consequence. If anyone's found praying to anyone but you, O wonderful Darius, they must be thrown into the lion's den. You can't change your mind. No fingers crossed. No going back. And he signs it into law. And then, as you know, without fanfare or drama, I like this, Daniel just continues to live on like he's always lived. There's no drama here. He's lived this way for 80 plus years. He doesn't go kneel in the street in protest of this law. He doesn't go and kneel before the 120 in the palace, but uh, he just simply does what he's always done. Look at verse 10. What's he always done? Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home like he always did, went upstairs where the windows opened towards Jerusalem, and like he'd always done three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done for 80 years. Just as he had done for 80 years. I would suggest to you that a big part of the secret to Daniel's influence, to Daniel's making a difference in front of three different kings was right here, verse 10. He, he, he just made this his godly daily habit. This was his way of living. Every day, it seems, he was following Psalm 55, verses 16 and 17. You might want to write that down because he wasn't just doing this because he dreamed it up, but he was following David's lead. But I called to God and the Lord saves me evening Morning and noon I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. I think this is interesting, but evening is when the Jewish day began. Tracking with me? So the most important time to pray, evening, that's where it starts, and then I'm going to get reconnected, and then I'm going to get reconnected as the day goes on. Evening, morning, noon, evening. Okay? So, so that's his, his uh, regular pattern following uh, Psalm 55. And his enemies, look at verse 11, they knew that he was going to follow his regular pattern. Daniel wasn't going to quit praying, and they knew that. So they run to Darius. Uh, guess what? We caught somebody, and he's not obeying your command. Oh, God, Darius. Uh, so we demand that your law be followed, and that Daniel be thrown into the lion's den. Now, please understand, these were not friendly, purring lions, you know. This isn't Daniel kind of scratching their manes and they're licking uh, cream off of Daniel's cheek. Uh, That's sometimes what you think of when you think of the flannel graph. How do you know that? Look at verse 23, Daniel's lifted out of the den. Verse 24, his false accusers had their bones crushed by the very same lions that Daniel was with. Before they even hit the bottom of the den, they were dead. 
tracking? Wow. Vicious, hungry lions. God supernaturally shut their mouths. I don't know about you, but as I've gotten ready for today, I've been reading Daniel all week long. And about 11, 12 years ago, we worked through the book of Daniel. Been re- I don't know, as I read about Daniel, I say, wow, look at how you use that man. Lord, Lord this man was uh, influencing the greatest kings on earth at this time. Babylon was the king of the hill, and, and Daniel was so greatly used by you right there in Babylon. I say, I want to be like him. I want to be that kind of a man. I want to be a man of wisdom and integrity and godliness. I want to influence the the places around me. Anybody besides me want to be like a Daniel? Anybody? You You can admit. Daniel, you want to be a Daniel? Nice, yeah, I like that. That's Daniel Gardner, our sound man back there. I told him, this is your day, man. This is it. Uh... Now, now here's where you've got to think with me. But if you want to be like Daniel, then you've got to do the daily things that made Daniel, Daniel. Does that make sense? Yeah, I want to be like Daniel. It's like the Lord saying, okay, uh, I'll use you. It's not like he was something special, but there was some special things that Daniel did that made Daniel, Daniel. And I'm convinced that one of the key things that made Daniel, Daniel, was his daily godly habit to pray three times a day to the Lord. I'll say it again. Likely evening, morning, noon. Evening, morning, noon. And I would argue, evening, morning, noon. I'm here again, Lord. I'm reconnecting. I'm praising you. I'm asking you to take charge of my life. Evening, morning, noon, 75. I I don't know how long, but it seems early on that was his practice. That was his godly habit. And we think, what was the secret to Daniel? I think it starts with evening, morning, noon. That was his habit. I'm, I'm here with you again. I'm talking with you re-energized, re-empowered, refilled, reconnecting with the Lord his God. This past week I read one of my favorites, J.I. Packer. Um, here's what he said. Somebody said, you got any advice for, for Christians? Any advice? He said, yeah, you should have a 50-year plan. What? A vision for growth over a long period of time. Learning the ways of Jesus won't happen by accident. It takes deliberate planning. You've got to walk that way for a lifetime. And it just hit me. You know what? He's right. You want to be a Daniel? You want to make a difference in your world? It's going to take a lifetime. And I would suggest to you that it starts with evening, morning, and noon. And evening, and morning, and noon. No, Lord, I, I don't want to do that the rest of my life. Just, just smite me with power and influence. And it's like, no, no, that's not the way it works. Evening, and morning, and noon. Over a lifetime, 
that's what creates a person that's powerful and God can use. Evening and morning and noon. Say it with me. Evening and morning and noon. And it's just going to continue on by your grace for the rest of my days. Bow your heads. Shut your eyes. Evening, morning, and noon. But I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon I cry out in my distress. And he hears my voice. What would it take for you to follow Daniel's lead? What would it take for you to make that the godly habit of your life? I'm not talking for a day or a week or a month. But Lord, I I just, I need to make this a godly part of the rest of my life. Evening, morning, noon, reconnecting, crying out. Listening, responding. How many of you would say, you know, I think if I made evening, morning, noon a regular holy habit in my life, I, I think it would transform my life. How many of you would say, I think, I think it would. It would change me. If that became my pattern, anybody else? I, I, think, I think I'd be a different person if that, for the rest of my days, became my holy habit. Anybody say, it changed me. Pretty sure I'd be different. Yeah. Is the Lord knocking and whispering to you right now? Might the Lord be nudging you to say, I, I want to use you like I used Daniel. the secret power source, the secret sauce, so to speak, for Daniel was evening, morning, noon, reconnecting. Final uh, question. I think the Lord might be nudging you to follow Daniel's lead. going to be a challenge. I'm not saying it's going to happen easily. Most good things don't come easy. But you know what? By God's grace, I need with your help, Lord, to make this the holy habit in my life for the rest of my days. This isn't just a little, little nice jaunt for a few days or weeks. But Lord, I want this to be what marks my life. Evening, morning, noon. I'm convinced the best decisions are when we humble ourselves, when we stand and we invite others to 
pray for us to hold us accountable. So I just close by asking, how many of you would say, you know what? I want to be like Daniel. I want to make a difference in this world with my family, with my friends, with the people around me. Lord, I just recognize that's going to start with a daily thing, evening, morning, noon. I need your help, Lord. I need you to empower me to make that a godly habit. But I need my church family to love me, to encourage me, to pray for me, to hold me accountable. Pastor, I'm going to stand first. But I'd ask, anybody else? Are you in it? Are you in it? By God's grace, I want to make that a daily godly habit going on in my life. Would you stand? That's your intention. And Lord, see my heart. See, see where I'm at. By your grace, whatever it takes, Show me how to do it. And if I mess up a day or two, Lord, help me not to be discouraged. Help me not to go backwards and quit like I do so many other things. By your grace, evening and morning and noon. I know when you're praying, you're not supposed to look around, right? Please look around. And especially if you're standing, find somebody near you because you're going to need somebody to ask you uh, in the coming days, how you doing? How you doing with that? How's it going? Evening, morning, noon, how'd you do this week? And then in two weeks, how'd you do this week? Okay, so if you don't know their name, get their name, take a number. But I encourage you, look around. This, this is cool. Uh, Lord, you see potential here. I, I believe if, if we establish this evening, morning, noon, crying out to you in our distress, crying out to you, look out, northern Michigan. (laughs) It's not because we're all that much, because we're really not. But when we're crying out to you and drinking from you and listening to you and your power shines through us, wow, that's where life change happens. The Lord... Would you just work powerfully in my friends who are standing right now? Praying, Lord, that uh, the world around us will sit up and take notice. I'm praying that the world around us will realize there's something different in us. And they're right. It's Jesus in us and working through us. And we're staying connected with that power source. Say it with me. Evening and morning and noon and then the next day we're going evening and morning and noon and then the next day by God's grace it's going to be evening and morning and noon and Lord you just keep it up I'm praying that we'll die with evening and morning and noon it's in Jesus awesome name we pray every one of these things